A reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray now that your word, the Bible, would be our rule. Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And your son's greater glory, may it be our supreme concern. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for the opportunity to open God's word, the Bible, uh, this morning. If you go back in your service order or open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at that passage that was uh, read to us earlier. And, and in it, we're given an incredible opportunity to glimpse into the Apostle Paul's prayer life and see the impact that his own experience of the, the glorious blessings that God's given him made upon his life. Paul's been transformed from who he was into a man of prayer. And he moves from adoration of God, praising God for all that God has done. And you've probably looked at some of those verses in verses 3 to 14, to intercession or to pleading on behalf of others to Christ, to God himself. He moves from the great blessings. Do you remember those from the earlier passage? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's all about blessing. He moves from those great blessings to great prayer, and he's pleading and desiring that these Ephesian Christians see and capture and lay hold of the, the knowledge of all those blessings that they have in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, text we've got uh, this morning. It is as if we've been invited to listen in to Paul's personal prayer life, his daily prayer time with God. What an incredible privilege uh, that is. Well, let's consider where we're at this morning and, and consider our, our own situation. When we come to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, when we, when we come to see something of the gospel, when we come to see the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we come to see all the blessings there are in Christ, 
we want other people to see that as well, don't we? It becomes part of our, how would we say, our, our passion for living. We want them to see these Christian things, men and women and boys and girls, to see them and, and to be brought into the, the blessings of these things, to see with the, the eyes of their own souls. That's Paul's desire as well. And as a result, he, he finds himself where on his knees praying that these great blessings would be known and felt and understood and appreciated and seen by those who were gathered together in the city where he was. He was ministering into a city as well, wanting them to get a glimpse of these things and to grasp them. He was ministering into a city called Ephesus. And he prayed that God would open their eyes, the people of the city, to grasp the fullness of these great blessings. Well, three things I want to share with you this morning. They're not all original to me, but I hope they'll be as impacting to you as they are to me as I read these verses. Here's the first thing, and it comes by way of a question. And I want you to look specifically at verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 1. Here's the question. Who is it that the Apostle Paul is praying for here? Who is it? Look with me, because I believe he's praying for believers, people who know Jesus. He says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And then he, he continues, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's praying for believers like you and like me. And as Paul spends time in Ephesus, and as he looks around the city, he, he recognizes Christians and he sees in those Christians genuine faith in Jesus Christ. He sees that they have love for one another and he's conscious that these things come from the Lord and he gives glory to God for that. He gives glory to God, firstly, for their faith towards God. That's great. And secondly, for their love towards other Christians, fellow Christians, those two things. And I want you to notice those things at Emmanuel this morning, those, those two facts, faith towards God and love towards fellow Christians in the church are in fact inseparable. Do you notice that here? These two things that Paul comes back to again and again and again throughout all his epistles, all his letters, faith towards God, that's so important, but so too is love to the saints, to, 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 to the fellow Christians. And these two attributes form for us two of the most prominent marks of what I call genuine conversion in a human life. Throughout the entire New Testament, these are the two most frequently marked, uh, frequently mentioned marks and distinguishing features of a person who has come to a genuine conversion and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they again? Faith towards God and love towards Christians. So let's let's think about ourselves as we think about these two distinguishing features. Where are we on the scale of faith this morning? Faith in Christ and love towards Christians. Where are we? Where am I? 
Where, where do we, we land? Where do you land on that scale this morning? Where do I land? Do we have faith in Christ? Think for a moment. Why should God listen to our prayers? Why should he bend his ear? Why should he take notice of our prayers at all? He is holy and we are not. We are sinful. We've just said that, haven't we, in, in the prayer of confession. Why should, why should God listen to those prayers? It, it's not because we pray often. It's not because our prayers are fervent or that we pray with great zeal. It's not because, uh, thirdly, our prayers are seemingly sincere. And it's not because we are better than others. And it's certainly not because we're Anglicans. <laughs> God listens to those prayers because we are trusting in Christ. That's the distinguishing feature. It is Christ alone who makes our prayers acceptable to God's the Father. It is Christ's mediation, his intercession. It is because Christ comes to us in a saving relationship with him that our prayers are found acceptable to God. Nothing more and nothing less. Faith in Christ. How are you doing with that? And love towards the Christians. Where, where are we on that scale? Genuine love for God and for other Christians is a mark of genuine conversion. If you think about uh, the New Testament letter, 1 John, where the Apostle John takes pains to repeat over and over and over again throughout those five brief chapters. You'll see them in the New Testament, laying out clearly, laying out various aspects, pressing home, pounding home into the conscience and hearts of Christians, the necessity, we might call it the absolute necessity, that we have love towards one another. Where do you stand on that scale this morning? Faith in Christ and love towards other Christians. And look with me down in the text, if you've got it there as I have. Look, in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I've heard about your faith. Wow. In the Lord Jesus. And I've also heard about your love towards all the saints. Now, that's to be distinguished from their love for some of the saints. You know what I mean, I'm sure. We're, we're not just to love those who drink coffee like we do, uh, vote the same way as we voted last week, or those who, who, who we're attracted to or who are attracted to us. We're not just to love those who love us. Paul speaks of love towards how many of the saints? All of the saints. And if you do things like I do, uh, and carefully with respect, underline verses in the Bible, you might want to underline that portion of verse 15, love towards all the saints. Because when Paul says that, it includes those whom we do not particularly get along with. It means we are to love those who have offended us. It means we are to love those who have hurt us or let us down in the church. Love towards all the saints. I long remember that great little ditty that says, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's quite another story. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love 
towards all the saints. In John's gospel, some of you will remember in chapter 13, Jesus underscores this for us. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How are we doing with that in the church? How, how, how are you doing with that at Emmanuel or in your, your Christian experience? How are we doing that in the diocese? I had a priest uh, in our diocese write to me on Wednesday afternoon, the day after the election, and say, I have reports that some of our members attended a political rally and shouted at political opponents protesting on a street corner. Long-time friendships are being tested. One person in the congregation is not sure they can still attend the same church with the other side. Lord have mercy, brothers and sisters. New York and the surrounding uh, cities, the surrounding states, and Jersey and, and Connecticut, wherever it is that you're, 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 you're zooming in from today, the city will not be one for Jesus. They won't get a glimpse of Jesus unless we have those two things that Paul underscores in our text today. Remember what they are? Faith in the Lord Jesus. It's so beautiful. And secondly, love towards all the saints. In fact, Jesus says a distinguishing feature, a mark of the Christian is the love that they bear towards one another. Paul speaks of it here as having love for all the saints. And this is what Paul is thanking God for. Isn't it wonderful? And he looks at the churches at, at, at Ephesus and he's sunk to his knees, sunk right down to his knees to bring praise to the Lord for the marks of faith and the love that are found within the believing community there in the city of Ephesus. In fact, look with me, verse 16 of our passage. Paul doesn't stop giving thanks for them. It's wonderful. Paul doesn't just mention this faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints on this one singular occasion. It's not like he prays, oh, by the way, God, thanks for their faith. And, and, and thanks for the fact that they get on well when they come on Zoom on, on Sunday mornings. No, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's the bottom line. Prayer often reveals our thoughts. We pray about what we think about. We pray about what's on our minds. Prayer so often reveals our thoughts and our thoughts reveal what? what's in our hearts. And if we need to do a check as to where our heart is in relationship to the Lord and our spiritual pilgrimage, one of the places we go to is our thoughts. What are we thinking about that reveals a great deal about what is on our hearts? One of the English Protestants from the Reformation uh, said, and it's often repeated, what a man is, what a person is in secret that he is, and little more. And it can be relatively easy to be something in public with other Christians, can't it? 
relatively easy to be something with other people at church or to be something in the community or in the workplace or at school or on the college campus or at home. But what we are in secret reveals more about us perhaps than anything else. So here's Paul and he moves from ceaseless thanks. Thank you, God. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for their love for one another to ceaseless intercession, ceaseless prayers. And he goes on to tell them how he prays for them in his own private prayer room, his closet. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit gives us this morning some instruction on how we should pray for those we love. Look with me this time in verse 17. And here's the second heading, praying for growth in the knowledge of Christ. Look at what Paul says, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. You know, sometimes uh, my prayers, perhaps yours, can appear a little bit like a grocery list. You know, a sore knee, uh, the mortgage, the open parking space when I'm looking to park my car in a city somewhere, the irritable relative that's texting something they shouldn't text. We do need to pray for those things. In fact, the Lord tells us to cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. Uh, these needs do belong, I believe, in our prayers. But there are times when our prayer life appears to be dominated by that grocery list. Mine anyway. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what does he say? May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, some Christians suggest that the big thing of life is to know and understand yourself. We, we do need to know ourselves. We, we need to know that we are miserable sinners. We've used a sort of phrase like that in our confession today, stunted in our spiritual growth. We're, we're suffocating in this life rather than breathing in the, the air of heaven. And Paul, Paul invites us here, do you see, to pursue not a knowledge of ourselves. Do you notice that? So much emphasis on that today, isn't it? Get to know yourself, and then you'll, you'll find some level of certainty and security. No, Paul, Paul asks us, invites us to pursue not a knowledge of ourselves, but a knowledge of Christ. Think back to what we often refer to as Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And there we find our Lord praying exactly the same thing. In John's gospel, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we could say it like this, the great need of the church in our day, November 2020, is to know Christ more to know more of Christ, that we, as we read in Philippians 3, might say with Paul, we count everything else as loss in comparison to the surpassing excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would that be a way you might describe your hunger for God? Counting everything else as loss all of your relationships, your possessions, your goals, your ambitions, your future, your past, they're not bad, those things. 
No, but do we count them as loss in comparison, there we go, to the surpassing excellency of Jesus Christ, our Lord? That's the great need for all of us, for me too. And it is more than just knowing about Jesus, more than just knowing the facts from the Bible. There is a great difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. I'm told that, don't don't go there now. (laughs) I'm told that if you go to Wikipedia and put in my name, you'll find some things about me. I don't know if they're all true or not, but you'll find some, don't, don't go there now. You can do it later. But when you do go there and you read those things, you'll know about me, but you won't actually know me. Paul is is writing not about knowing about Christ, where we can list off a bunch of facts and knowledge. No, he's he's writing about having a, a personal, real, deep, living relationship with Jesus today. And that is something very different because there are unbelievers who can list all sorts of things about what they know about Jesus that are found in the Bible. I know someone who can do that, who's never confessed Jesus as Lord or Jesus as Messiah. And she can tell you an immense amount of facts about Jesus, where he lived, how he lived, where he went, what the New Testament says about him. But she will not accept him as Lord. And Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And notice also that Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom. In Revelation verse 17, do you see that there? We, We read about that back in the prophecy of Isaiah. Wisdom to take the things of God's word and to apply them in our lives. Wisdom is not just theory. Much more than that. It's it's insight leading to knowledge. And knowledge, therefore, is acting upon those things. So he prays for wisdom and revelation. This is not the type of revelation that some individuals might say they have a private revelation from God where he speaks a private message to them, but rather it's an illumination by the work of the Holy Spirit. It comes to unveil God's word. I trust he's doing that right now through the Bible. So where have we come thus far? Firstly, Paul is praying for the believers because he has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. He's looked out at the city, he's heard of their faith, and he's seen their love towards all the saints. Secondly, he prays for their growth in the knowledge of Christ. And then thirdly, Look with me this time in verse 18. Have a look with me in the text. He prays for their growth in spiritual sight. Look with me. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is just wonderful. I love it. You can tell I'm getting excited. The people in the hotel room next to mine will be wondering what's going on in there. It's just wonderful. Paul is praying that God will help them see what they already have. In other words, remember all that is said in verses 13 and 14 is not that he wants them to see new things and new conditions and new truths. 
He wants them to he wants to see them grow in a depth of understanding in what they have already been given, in what you've already been given, and what I've already been given. It's the same thing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he speaks of their eyes, the eyes of their hearts being enlightened to see two things. Here they are. We can pray these things for each other. Firstly, that they would see the hope to which he has called us. Hope, of course, is the opposite of danger, isn't it? It's the opposite of danger. Hope is the opposite of danger, and uh, not danger. Sorry, hope is the opposite of despair. You can you can imagine these these Ephesian Christians. They have a history in their life of uh, in that city of engaging in the dark arts in demonic cults. We we know that from studying what happened in Ephesus. It's a very dark place. They lived in a spiritually bankrupt city, which housed a a, a temple. Um, called the Temple of Diana. There was hostility towards the followers of Jesus there in the city. There was uh, paganism, idolatry, superstition. Sound like New York City? Sound like the city where I live? Yes. And you can imagine the difficulty and the despair which would cling to their hearts and the despair that they would have amidst the tremendous metropolis. And yet... And yet, amidst all of that, Paul wants them to see hope, the hope to which he has called you. And we need to see this hope to which he has called us, because the world fills our eyes with things that can sometimes lead us to despair. The hope to which he has called us at Emmanuel this morning in New York City, or wherever it is that you are. The future inheritance is that hope that awaits us in heaven. This is why I I love to talk, Jim and the others have heard me say this, this is why I love to talk about, in our earthly lives, keeping a glimpse of heaven before us. Will you do that? Will you you keep a glimpse of, of heaven before you? You know, the great hymns of the faith that we sing help us to do that. Uh, It was Charles Wesley who wrote, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, where we will be lost in wonder, love, and praise. It's it's a glimpse of heaven. We sang this morning. Did you catch it? Uh, Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for where? Seal it for thy courts above. In our second hymn, we sang, called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, heaven's citizen by grace, citizens of heaven and grace alone. This gives us tremendous hope. The Christian's life, despite whatever setbacks we face, despite whatever disappointments we encounter on whatever level, no matter how much we stumble, no matter how much is undone and is discouraging to us in our lives or in our nation or around the world, we are people of hope. We're people of hope. The hope to which he has called us. Keep, keep, a, keep a, a glimpse there on heaven. And secondly, Paul prays that they may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So 
Is, is Paul talking about God's inheritance, which is us? Or is he talking about our inheritance, which is God? He's already told us that our inheritance is the Lord himself. He's given us the spirit, the seal of himself as our inheritance. And you looked at seals last time. God is our inheritance. And what a glorious thing that is. But then Paul also teaches that, that we are, we, can you imagine this? Are God's inheritance. And that he has taken us as his, pre- as, his, his, his precious possession, his treasure chest, and that we belong to Christ. So simultaneously, these things take place. They are held together. Christ's inheritance and our inheritance are all wrapped up and are fulfilled together both here and now, as well as in heaven itself. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Malachi, right at the very end of the Old Testament, uses striking words in his prophecy with regards to us being God's inheritance. In chapter 3, verse 17, let me quote it to you. He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession. Isn't that beautiful? I hope, I, I hope you find that beautiful. We will be the Lord's treasured possession in that day. We are God's treasures. It's, it's just so very lovely. Do you see how these two things hold together? That we would grow in the knowledge of Christ, who he is. And that we would would see the riches which belong to us, our inheritance, which is God himself. These things go together. Our knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of our inheritance, which is Christ, the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and, and what are the, the results of these truths we've discovered this morning for life in 2020 at Emmanuel? What, what are the results of these truths for the Christians who are yet to come to faith in Christ, what are the results? Here it is. These truths transform our lives. If we are on our way to being crowned, if we're on our way to being the possession of the Lord, if we're on our way to become his treasure, we don't worry about a rainy day, do we? If a Christian grows in what we have in Christ, our hope and our riches, when a rainy day comes, what is there to worry about? Now, I know stuff happens in life, and it's probably happening in your life as it is in mine, on different levels and different circumstances. Life can deal some pretty harsh blows. I know that. But those days when we are spiritually rained on, does that trash our soul? Or do we live as those who are conscious that we are on our way to heaven to be crowned and that we have been given an inheritance even now? Remember, as Paul says here in verse 21, that far above all rule, that's all rule, and authority, and power, and dominion, far above all those things, 
above every name that is named, not only in this age today, but also in the one to come, far above all those things is Jesus. And Paul wants to make crystal clear that when Christians in New York or wherever it is that you are, feel small and lonely and vulnerable, when the state seems so powerful, when the powers and forces seem to have the very last word, we do not need to panic. Keep steady. And we can keep steady with the resolute assurance that far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, it's wonderful, is Jesus. What a great thing that is. You are secure forever in Christ. If you are his and friends, that's an amazing place to be. And it's where we find ourselves this morning in this passage. So let me very quickly recap. Faith towards God and love towards all other Christians. Now let's remember all other Christians. Form for us two of the most prominent marks of genuine conversion. And as we pray, remember the hope to which he has called us already. Hope is the opposite of despair. And remember, too, the riches of his glorious inheritance, that we are God's inheritance, his treasures. And he is in our, our inheritance. And as a result, if we choose to allow them, these truths will transform us. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Pray with me now. O gracious and loving God in heaven, we plead for your mercy upon us. You have described your church as a house of prayer. May it be true of this congregation at Emmanuel, O Lord, and may you give us a spirit of prayer, the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous person has great power at its working. Enable us, O Lord, to be a people who are praying for one another, praying for others, praying for the city, that we would grow in the knowledge of Christ and that our spiritual sight would be increased. How we long to behold the glory of God more fully in anticipation of beholding it most fully on that last day. And give us, O oh Lord, an increasing knowledge of the Saviour and keep us with a glimpse of heaven. We ask in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.